Physicians, medical professionals, and attorneys have higher rates of alcohol and drug addictions. However, under the Stark Law, entities with medical staffs can pay for treatment and the promotion of mental health. Captain Integrity Production and the law firm of Nelson Mullins presents Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. Stark Integrity explores the world of the Stark Law and healthcare compliance with our nationally recognized Stark Law, Fraud, and Compliance Attorney, Bob Wade. Bob has a national healthcare legal and compliance practice that focuses on the minions of the Anti-Kickback Statute, False Claims Act, and the Stark Law, including fair market value and commercial reasonableness. Although Bob is a law partner in the national law firm of Nelson Mullins, the views expressed in Stark Integrity are Bob's personal views and not the views of the firm, and they are not intended to be legal advice. Now, without further ado, I give you Captain Integrity, Bob Wade. Welcome to Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. My name is Bob Wade, and I'm am your host. Well, this is a challenging episode uh, because in this episode, I'm going to be talking about substance abuse and addiction, and it's not a, a lighthearted subject. It's obviously a very serious subject that uh, there could be loss of lives for individuals who are addicted, whether it be you know, drugs, opioids, alcohol. Uh, these are destructive behaviors that can destroy a person's life as well as materially affect their health. And medical professionals, compliance officers, and attorneys are not immune from addictions and substance abuse. In fact, there's a high degree of evidence that medical professionals, attorneys, and compliance officers have a high indication of addictions. But before I get into a lot of this, I, I want to throw out a few things. Is first off to talk about what is an addiction, because you know, as you're going to see, we we are all addicts uh, at one level or another. Some are good addictions, and some are bad ad addictions. And then I want to go into the prevalency of addiction, substance abuse, drug abuse amongst various physician specialties as well as amongst attorneys. But let's first start with what is an addiction. And I have studied addiction and uh, I have a few books I like to recommend, but one book that I, of particular importance to me is a book called Addiction and Grace. And it's written by a physician, uh, Gerald May. And uh, it, it's a fascinating book talking about spirituality as well as addictions, you know, defining what is a, an addiction, and it goes through the biological uh, things of addiction. And first off, I do want to point this out at the very beginning, that if somebody has an addiction, whether it be an, an alcohol addiction, drug addiction, or whatever, it is not a moral or personal failure. It is a disease. It is a disease that needs to be managed. And so when you know that you have this disease, then it's up to you to, to manage that disease. And the connection here with Stark Law is not that, like you have to understand the, the Stark Law that causes you to drink. That's a joke. But it's the Stark Law is allowing certain medical facilities to provide medical treatment or treatment for substance abuse. 
So first off, what is the definition of addiction? So according to Dr. May in the book titled Addiction and Grace, addiction is any compulsive habitual behavior that limits the freedom of human desire. It is caused by the attachment or kneeling of desire to specific objects. And the word behavior is especially important in this definition for it indicates that action is essential to addiction. So in Dr. May's book, he, he talks through about the five characteristics of addiction. So the five characteristics are first tolerance, and that is that as you consume a, a product or a substance, your body tolerates. In fact, it's, it's what's fascinating in Dr. May's book is that he's, he starts off talking about a female that had sinus infection. And, you know, she went to the store or the drugstore and bought a sinus nasal spray. And she was only supposed to take it once every four hours, but the effect was good. So she took it every every other hour, and then she took it every hour, and it wasn't working. And so she went to the doctor, and she asked the doctor if she could get a stronger nasal spray. And the doctor said, well, no, you have over-prescribed yourself with the over-the-counter nasal spray. So her body built up this tolerance for the nasal spray. So tolerance is one aspect of, of addiction. Next is withdrawal symptoms, and these can be very severe or they can be minor. A lot of times they're like with rapid pulse, tremors, or overwhelming panic. Uh, Sometimes if it's very serious, there can be seizures. There's also number three characteristic is self-deception, that you are telling yourself that everything's all right, or I'm not as bad as that person, or for the person who struggles with alcohol addiction, well, I'm not living under a bridge drinking out of a paper bag. Uh, I've heard it said once before that uh, for people with addictions, including alcoholism, it could be somebody from Yale to jail. So it can be your very well-educated, very high-performing attorney that happened to graduate from, from Yale, or it could be the drug addict on the street that ultimately goes to jail. It is, it's you're denying that you have a problem. So you can't confront your addiction unless you first identify that you have a problem. The next level in the progression, this is number four, is the loss of willpower, that you are gravitated towards your addiction. And so you lose the willpower to, you know, I guess, back away from the addiction or to not take the substance. And lastly, the distortion of attention. So this is the final one. And distortion of attention means it's all you think about. Uh, Like if you have an exercise addiction, it's all you think about. Or if you're an alcoholic, it's all you think about. So it's the distortion of your attention. So it takes away your attention from your work, your attention from the ones that you love, and if you are spiritual, it also takes away from your God. Uh, so that's, it's the, it's the distortion of attention. And so a lot of times, like if you have somebody with a drug addiction or alcohol addiction, when they show up at work, they may not be as focused as what they typically are. And uh, Dr. May has a, and if you get the book, it's on page 38 and 39. He talks about these addictions of attraction and addictions of aversion. So with, with attraction, it means that you uh, you gravitate toward something. So like drinking and drugs, obviously would be, but he's listed on here like um, anger, seeking approval, eating candy, exercising, sex, 
stress, watching television, smoking, power, punctuality. I mean, those are all addictions of attraction. So it's not just substance abuse that is addiction. Then, then there are addictions of aversion, meaning you're avoiding certain things. Aversion of people or of open spaces or the aversion of rejection or the aversion of sex, you know, things like that. So that just sets the context that, you know, we all have addictions. Some of those addictions are obviously, I'm going to put in air quotes, good addictions. And some of the, the addictions are, again, in air quotes, bad addictions. Let's talk specifically about the prevalency of addictions in the medical field. And there's not a lot of, you know, I guess, concrete evidence out there, but there are some surveys that have been conducted. And I just want to focus in on a few, um, a few specialties. So first off, and I think if you would think about physicians who may have a high prevalency of addiction as anesthesiologists, and you know, mostly these are addictions to opioids or fentanyl. And uh, in previous studies have shown that over 40%, 40% of anesthesiologists enrolled in physician health programs are there for IV drug use compared to only 10% for alcohol use. So obviously with anesthesiologists, there, there tends to be greater drug addiction versus alcohol addiction. Now, I also want to talk about surgeons. You're just talking about the alcohol disorder generally in the United States. So alcohol disorder generally is 6.2% of the general public is addicted to alcohol. And when you talk about surgeons, 25.6% of female surgeons have alcohol abuse or dependence compared with 13.9% for male surgeons. So there you're talking about the entire surgical population that 25.6% of female surgeons have an alcohol addiction and almost 14% of male surgeons have an alcohol addiction. And so that's not physicians who are in treatment. Those are just physicians who are out in your hospitals. Uh, there's probably 25% of your female surgeons and 14% of your male surgeons that have an alcohol addiction or dependency. And emergency medicine has a very high stress environment, so you would think that there would be a higher indication of substance abuse amongst emergency physicians. And just another statistic that I found with emergency medicine is the burnout rate. The burnout rate for emergency medicine physicians is 60%. And that's the highest burnout rate when compared with all medical specialties. So although emergency medicine accounts for only 3% of all physicians, again, taking a look at all physicians as a population, it accounts for only 3% of all physicians. They account for up to 18% of physicians who are enrolled in physician health programs or substance abuse programs, treatment centers. So even though they only represent 3% of all physicians in the United States, 18% in treatment programs are emergency medicine physicians. And I, I guess I do want to have another statistic for you with respect to anesthesiologists. Almost 34% of all residents in treatment programs, so these are physician residents in treatment programs, uh, are anesthesia residents. When 
uh, anesthesia residents only represent about 4.6% of all medical residents in the country. So even though they only represent 4.6, you have 33.7% of these resident physicians and treatment programs are anesthesia residents. So now let's talk about attorneys. And I will throw compliance officers into this same bucket. And this is astonishing. But of attorneys, 36% of all attorneys struggle with alcohol abuse. So if you were in a law firm and looking around, very close to 40% of the people around you, if not you yourself, are struggling with alcohol abuse. And as a profession, attorneys have the highest degree of alcoholism when compared with any other profession. And when we look at um, attorneys, and again, I'm, I'm using attorneys because I know there are a lot of compliance officers listening to this, and I would throw compliance officers into the same category as attorneys, that 9% of attorneys have been found to struggle with prescription drug abuse. So that's still a, a very high percentage. So again, with attorneys slash compliance officers, about 36% have an alcohol abuse problem, and 9% of attorneys slash compliance officers have been found to struggle with prescription drug abuse. So that's all to say that there is a lot of abuse that happens with professionals and professionals that frankly are in the medical field, medical field as well as the attorney slash compliance field. And I've heard countless stories where a lot of, uh, especially law firms, they would rather just, you know, terminate the individual and get them out versus providing treatment. So this is really now getting to the heart of what I want to talk about is because there is now a new exception under the Stark Law recognizing the prevalency of the of addiction amongst physicians. So on December the 29th, 2022, uh, the Consolidated Appropriations Act was signed into law. And what was interesting by statute, and this is different for those of you who are Stark Law geeks, most of the Stark Law exceptions come about through the regulatory process by CMS promulgating uh, a rule, and we have time to actually review the rule and comment on the rule before CMS takes it final. Uh, Stark didn't start as a regulatory initiative. It was a statutory. So there are various statutory exceptions under the Stark Law, and there are regulatory exceptions under the Stark Law. The exception I'm talking about here is called the Physician Wellness Program Exception, and it is a statutory exception. So there was no public comment once this act was passed, then immediately went into effect this exception under the Stark Law, as well as the corresponding safe harbor under the anti-kickback statute. So at its core, this exception in safe harbor allows entities, I'm going to use the words hospital, but uh, you know entities to provide assistance for physicians and and medical personnel who are struggling with substance abuse. Because if you think at its core, let's say you have a physician who has a drug problem and the hospital recognizes, and usually hospitals have these physician wellness committees, and they want to send the physician to a treatment center. And let's say that the hospital wants to pay for that treatment. Well, under the strict interpretation of the Stark Law, 
if the hospital pays for that treatment, that is considered to be remuneration. Again, I put that in air quote, but I've talked about remuneration before on Stark Integrity. But it's remuneration because it's a benefit to the doctor. And therefore, it's a compensation arrangement, the cost of the treatment. And so if it, you have to fit that benefit into a Stark Law exception, or if you'd like to, a, a safe harbor under the anti-kickback statute. So up until December 29, 2022, if, if you had an independent contractor physician, the hospital could not provide treatment or pay for the treatment for that physician. But as of that date forward, we can so uh, what, what it covers, it permits certain healthcare entities, and I'll talk about or define what those entities are, to provide mental or behavioral health improvement programs to referring physicians when the primary purpose of the program is, number one, to prevent suicide, number two, to improve mental health, number three, to provide training to promote the mental health of physicians, and also, number four, uh, to provide substance use disorder prevention and treatment programs. So that's where you get into the substance or the addictions uh, that you can provide treatment for those physicians who are struggling with addiction. So under the Stark Law, it's only the facilities that have medical staffs can actually use this exception. So that would be like hospitals ambulatory surgical centers, although we've talked before, ASCs are not a DHS entity under the Stark Law, but I'll tell you why I I threw that into the mix. So it's hospitals, ASCs, community health centers, rural emergency hospitals, rural health clinics, skilled nursing facilities, or similar entities. Now, the reason why I threw ASCs is because when you get under the anti-kickback statute, the safe harbor, it applies to any medical medical company or entity, and it's not just limited to physicians. As Stark Integrity listeners know, the exceptions under the Stark Law are limited to physicians or immediate family members of physicians. But these the safe harbor under the anti-kickback statute is basically the same as the exception under the Stark Law, except it would apply to all medical professionals, including NPPs, registered nurses, CRNAs, technicians, and the like. So there are seven prongs, like typical with Stark exceptions, of requirements in order to meet this exception. So first off, it must provide counseling, mental health services, a suicide prevention program, or a substance use disorder prevention or treatment program. So you can have this in-house. You can actually hire somebody who could be a counselor for individuals with addictions, or you can pay for treatment programs. Like I said, if you have like a drug addict or somebody who has a an alcohol problem, the hospital can pay to have that physician go to the treatment center. Second, the program must be available to a physician for the primary purpose of preventing suicide, improving mental health, or providing training and appropriate strategies to promote the mental health and resiliency of the physician or for the treatment that all goes into the treatment of the addiction or the substance use disorder. So third, it must the program must be laid out in a written policy that is approved by the entity's governing board, like the board of directors, uh, for the program's implementation. So if your entity, your hospital, wants to have such a program, you must 
prepare a policy and that policy must be approved by the entity's board of directors. So this way that the organization knows what type of support or services are we willing to, to pay for in order to treat these physicians that have such an addiction. So this is not like you're doing a one-off for a physician. It is a program recognized by the entity. So requirement number four is that the program or treatment must be offered to a physician by the qualified healthcare entity. And I told you what those entities are. Fifth, it must be offered to all physicians who practice in the geographical area served by that entity, including those who hold appointments uh, on the staff or have clinical privileges at such an entity. So when, when you're looking at this, it has to be offered to all individuals in the geographic area served by the hospital that are on your medical staff or have privileges. And six, it must be offered on the same terms to all physicians and not affected by the volume or value of, of referrals. So that's a common theme in the Stark exceptions. And lastly, the program must be backed by evidence. So if you are going to send a physician to a treatment center, there must be evidence that that treatment center is following certain requirements in order to treat the addiction for the physician. So just by way of jest, it, it's not a vacation for the physician. So they're not going to Club Med and spending a week there, quote, drying out. Um, there actually is a treatment center that they're, they're receiving recognized treatment for the addiction or the substance abuse problem that that individual may have. So I want to focus just a little bit as we're winding this down under the, the, uh, the details of the written policy. So when you're writing the policy, you must look at the program's uh, content and duration and describe the evidence used to support the structure and design of the program, as well as the estimated cost of the program. So if you're going to provide treatment at a treatment facility, by way of example, you could say that whatever is not covered by insurance, the hospital will pay or reimburse up to $20,000 for a one-time 30-day stay or something like that. So you'll need to be specific uh, about what you are willing to provide to the physician as well as the duration of the treatment for the physician. So now it's time for the three Captain Integrity punch points for this episode. Captain Integrity punch point number one is that we're all addicted to something. But obviously the focus of this episode is on substance abuse, alcohol, and drugs. Captain Integrity punch point number two is that the uh, now we have an available exception where a entity that has a medical staff uh, under the Stark Law uh, must or can provide treatment for substance abuse for members of its medical staff. So although it creates a benefit to the physician, it's a benefit that would be compliant under the anti-kickback statute as well as the Stark Law. And Captain Integrity punch point number three, this is a good thing. It's a good thing that we are providing this treatment for individuals that may be suffering from addictions or substance abuse. And I would encourage everyone to, to stand beside those individuals and, and work with them uh, because it, it could be a very desperate position that that individual is in and just does not know how to get out of the hole that they have dug for themselves. 
So let's, let's approach those individuals with compassion, kindness, and just a willingness to bring them back to health uh, and, and to encourage them along the way uh, because it can be a very lonely walk uh, during this process. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. If you have any questions regarding this episode, the Stark Law, or healthcare compliance, you can contact me at bobwadecaptainintegrity at gmail.com or my law firm email address at bob.wade at nelsonmullins.com. You can review this and any other episode of Stark Integrity at the Captain Integrity website at captainintegrity.com. You can also follow me on LinkedIn under Bob Wade. I hope the three Captain Integrity punch points will help you with the Stark Law and compliance. In closing, remember that integrity depends on you and me.